following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Under the reign of Diocletian, he reigned from 284 to 305. He was a very powerful Caesar in the old Roman Empire. This man, as many more wealthy men and women began to join the Christian movement, moved against them with great power. And many resulted in paying the ultimate price for their Christian faith. They were cast into the arena where they were killed by lions or other wild beasts. The persecution was intense and bitter. We are facing the same reality in America today. Persecution is coming to the American church. It has already begun. But why were Christians 
picked out of all the religions that were in the Roman Empire. I mean, there was Zoroastrianism. It had now come. So what was happening that Zoroastrianism was not persecuted like the Christian church? Well, the answer is very simple. For a Christian, there is only one God. He is the God who is revealed through the Old Testament. He is the God who came as a baby in the manger. He is God alone. Now, in an authoritarian government or totalitarian government, this cannot be tolerated. It cannot be tolerated because when you have one God and you refuse to acknowledge Caesar as God, then you have an absolute. And when you have an absolute, an absolute worldview, now you have a way of judging the state. You have a way of condemning what the state does that violates the basic moral principles of the Christian faith. When that takes place, an authoritarian government cannot stand it. A status government cannot stand it. They want to quash that. They do not want you to have an absolute that separates them from the authority over your life. Now, let's be very straight. We believe in one God. He is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he is a God of absolute righteousness and holiness. And he demands absolute and total commitment to him and to his kingdom. And no other kingdom can be allowed to interfere with that kingdom. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He said he must even be before your brother or your sister, your mother or your father, your children, even your husband. No, even before your own life. He is God. He is God Almighty. And he presents a moral view of the gospel that demands righteousness. Now, the Christian is called to live that life out in person with evangelism, with outreach, with confrontation of darkness. That kingdom demands that we be fishers of men. Now, this is where we run into direct conflict with government. Because they say you cannot proselytize. Now, America has not said that yet, but they're going to. China. Christians are banned. Bibles are burned. Pastors and members are arrested and put in prison and beaten and tortured, killed. Why? Because they will not recognize the premier of China as being equal with God. They disrupt the order of the state, which has its own moral values, which has its own ideals, and they are not according to the word of God. So Christians in Rome, in the Roman Empire, who would not bow down to Caesar and say, yes, he is God, but maintained that only one God, his name was Jesus, then they must be eliminated. Now, 
we have a problem. Before I go into that, let me introduce today, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel, and I am unapologetic that I serve one God, and I have a worldview that is very clear that God is in charge of this world, and he is the creator of this world, and he is the one who sets the standard by which I must live. I do not live by the standard of government. I live by the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ. And America was founded on the Judeo-Christian principles found in the Ten Commandments as a moral base. But now in America, we have violated that moral base with the murder of unborn babies. And we've called it women's rights. But by the word of God, it is condemned. It is murder. And I could give you many other examples, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you see, there's a big word. We've become synchronistic, meaning we have taken a position as American Christians that we can have more than one God. And because of that, we have lost, we have lost America. The America I knew growing up is gone. And if we try to regain it, the persecution will be intense. My loyalty is not to a party. My loyalty is not to a political figure. My loyalty is not to the culture. My loyalty is to Jesus Christ and him alone. My loyalty is not to a denomination or to a religious figure, save that of Jesus the Christ. My loyalty lies with Jesus as Lord over my life. He alone is Lord. Now, in the book of Romans, there is this wonderful statement, for I am not ashamed of the gospel from the Christ, because it is power, that's dunamis in the Greek, dynamite, it is power from God for salvation to all believers, believing ones, both the Jews first and the Gentiles. Indeed, righteousness from God is revealed in it by means of faith unto faith. As it stands written, now the righteous man will live by faith, not by law, but by faith. I'm not ashamed, he says, of the gospel. It's a gospel from the Messiah, Christ. It has power in it for salvation. For those who choose to believe and to become followers of this, of this Christ, this Messiah. And righteousness is revealed through this Messiah that does not come by the law, but by faith. And then he makes this statement. This is Romans 1, verse 18. For God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, those holding down the truth in unrighteousness. In other words, when men and women in government, in culture, begin to do things that are in opposition to the moral values of the Judeo-Christian ethic, they are holding down righteousness. They are preventing righteousness from being in the land. When you begin to have corruption in the government and in the courts, you get unjust decisions. That's what's happening in America. And we have political figures who will speak as though they are Christian, but their actions demonstrate that they are not. 
I don't trust a man or a woman based on what they say to me. I trust a man or woman, or I trust a government under Jesus when they have demonstrated by their life that they are worthy of trust. But when that trust is totally broken and destroyed, I immediately go to my default position, which is Jesus is Lord, and I will not succumb, I will not give myself to a government, to an organization, to a culture that violates the core moral principles found in the Judeo-Christian ethic that are found in the Scriptures, that are found in the Ten Commandments, that are found in, in loving our brother, found in honesty, integrity, found in what our Constitution established and our Bill of Rights prescribed. Now, what happens in a government that begins to violate these moral principles is they begin to think that they can establish that freedom of speech is something that can be given or taken by the government. It is not. They begin to say that the Second Amendment can be given or taken by the government. It cannot. There are natural laws established by God in his moral system that say that you cannot take these and be godly, that you are unrighteous if you begin to move against these things. So we have Twitter, and we have other social media formats that are violating the basic moral principles of our Constitution and of the Judeo-Christian faith. When that occurs, you need to leave. So if you're still on Twitter as a Christian and the National Prayer Chapel has just left Twitter, we're gone, we're not going to post anymore, and we're taking the same action toward other social media formats. We're not going to post there. We're finished. Because they are violating the basic moral principles of our Constitution, of our Bill of Rights, but also of scriptural principles of righteousness and holiness. We cannot abide by that or tolerate that. Now, part of what happens that makes government so angry is that Christians then, based on their moral values, begin to hold accountable governments, institutions, organizations that violate these principles. And part of what has happened in America that is so destructive is that the Christian church has rolled over, played nice, been tolerant, and has not objected to the breaking of the moral values of Scripture. And because of that, the status are taking greater and greater advantage and are establishing their own moral values that are wickedness. Again, we see that in the case of abortion. Abortion is not approved by God. It is wicked. It is murder. And God is going to bring very severe judgment on this nation if we don't turn from it. For God's wrath, verse 18, is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, those holding down the truth in unrighteousness. Now, verse 21. Because having known God, they glorified him not as God, nor thanked him, but were made vain in their reasoning, 
and their senseless hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they were made fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God with a likeness of an image of a corruptible man. What he's saying is they decided that man could decide their own moral values, that God was not the one who established moral values. Look, man is not the one in charge of the world. He doesn't own the world. The world is owned by God. He is the creator God. But we have in America become more and more oriented to the values of the human heart that is wicked above all things. Now it says, they exchange the glory of the incorruptible God with the likeness of the image of a corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and of reptiles. And for this reason, God handed them over to the lust of their hearts, to moral uncleanness, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the one having created, who is blessed forever. Amen. Now let's really talk about what this means. We worship ourselves in America. One man that I spoke with proudly showed me on his on his cell phone pictures of his clothing closet. And he said to me, I have over a hundred pair of beautiful tennis shoes. Very expensive. I bought them all over. I love shoes. And then he showed me the the case where he keeps all of his jewelry, his rings, rings, bracelets, chains. He said, I have the money. I might as well spend it. He said, my wife does the same thing. She likes shoes too. She has as many shoes as I do. Well, what's going on? We're worshiping the creature. And then some of you, I know I'm going to get some negative kickback on this, but we've got to go there. Some of you worship your little dogs. Some of you worship your big dogs. I've seen, I've seen women in the grocery store and in other places pushing their little puppy in a stroller like it was a child with a little hat on, little dress on. What are they doing? They're worshiping their animal. Some of you are closer to your animal by far than you are to any friends. Your dog or your cat, you worship. It is, what's it mean to worship? It means to give ultimate value to If your pet has a problem, I mean, I knew one man who loved his cat. And the cat became ill, took him to the vet. The vet told him he needs surgery. And he needs treatment for cancer. So he said, well, let's do it. He ended up paying over $2,000 for that cancer surgery for his cat. Shortly after, the cat died. He was utterly brokenhearted. And he wanted me to join with him in his sorrow and in his tears because his kitty cat died. Now, I've had wonderful pets. I love pets. But believe me, those pets will never have me pay $1,000 for any kind of medical practice. I mean, the vet said to the man, look, your life expectancy for your cat is not long. 
Should we put him down? Oh, no, we're not going to put him down. Let's have the surgery. Let's do all we can. They treated that cat like he was a human being. He worshipped his cat. Some of you worship your animals. They're like people to you. The same value as a person would have. It puzzles me how you can eat a cow and pay thousands for your dog to have surgery or your cat to have surgery. I don't understand that kind of thinking. It's ugly before God. We serve the creature rather than the one having created. It goes on. Because of this, God handed them over to uncontrolled sexual passions of dishonor. If you come down to verse 28, this is Romans 1, verse 28. As they did not approve to have... In other words, their value system was completely messed up. Their value system didn't work. God handed them over to a reprobate mind to do the things that ought not to be done. Having been filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, coveting, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, evil speakers, God-haters, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, without natural affection, unforgiving, unmerciful, they having fully understood the just requirements of God that the ones practicing such things are worthy of death, not only do them, but also approve the ones so practicing. So if you approve of the behavior of Americans in murder, bitterness, and conflict, and what are you doing when you sit down in front of the television and you begin to drink in the sitcom with their sick jokes, and you begin to watch the drama of the police programs, and you watch the violent movies and the murders and the beatings, and you approve of the movie, you are approving of that wickedness, and you are guilty as though you were doing it. And the result is God gives you over to a reprobate mind. Now I recognize something that's very painful, but we have to look at it. And that is that when we face honestly righteousness, part of what the issue then becomes, are we a victim or are we responsible? Are we a victim or are we responsible? Please let me say clearly with no equivocation, you are responsible for your behavior before God. I am responsible before God for my behavior. There is one God. There is one judge. And we will all stand before the judgment bar of God one day. And I am responsible for how I have behaved. As you are responsible for your behavior. Now, we have to look honestly at, do we really hold to one God, one Creator? Do we really, do we really believe in one God, or do we worship many gods? And the problem we're having in the American church is that we have been worshiping many gods for many years. We've been worshiping, worshiping at the altar of women's rights. 
We've been worshiping at the altar of pleasure and entertainment. We've been We've been worshiping at the altar of worldliness. Not separating ourselves from the world, but acting and looking and having the values of the world. God cannot tolerate this. He will not allow this to always go on. He must step in and judge the church. And part of that judgment has been vomiting the church out of their buildings. The judgment of God is upon the American church. And that judgment is going to grow. And today, many who call themselves prophets are prophesying, oh, we're going to have great prosperity and there's going to be a great move of God in the land. Do you know what would happen if a move of God came in most churches? Remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Half of the congregation might die if God walked into your church. Maybe more. In the wise and the unwise, foolish virgins, half were blocked out of the kingdom of God. They all said they were there waiting for the bridegroom and the groom. Half did not go into the party. So let's be real. What do you worship? What do you place the greatest value upon? Do you place the greatest value in your life upon the man, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and as your Savior? Or do you place most of your value on your dog or your cat? Do you place most of your, of your value on your job, on your children, on your wife, on your husband? Where do you place the value of your life? Do you serve one God or do you serve many gods? And so the world applauds you and thinks you're wonderful. It terrifies me when a pastor is acknowledged by worldly people as being a wonderful man of God. And they rave about him. And when he dies, they give him a wonderful funeral. And the president goes and, and the people gather and they speak these wonderful words about this man of God. How wonderful he was. Oh, no, 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 no. He worshipped at the altar of the gods of this world as well as saying he was a follower of Jesus. And so the world acclaims him. They didn't acclaim Jesus, did they? They put him on a cross. They didn't acclaim the apostles. They put the apostles to death. You see, authoritarian governments, totalitarian governments, which America is rapidly moving toward, cannot tolerate a man or a woman who says, Jesus is my Lord. I serve only the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not serve the powers of darkness. I do not serve the enticements of the flesh. And I do not serve the devil. And I'm going to call out. I've heard people say, John the Baptist should have just kept his mouth shut and not talked about Herod and his, his dirty wife. He lost his life because he spoke out. He could have kept his mouth shut and maybe Jesus would have included him among his disciples. No, can't do that. John the Baptist wasn't looking for power. He wasn't looking for recognition. He wasn't looking for accommodation. He confronted Herod's sin because Herod was a wicked man and he was the lead person in the government and it cost him his life. Justin Martyr, it cost him his life. And many others in the early church, it cost them their lives. Persecution has been bitter through the years 
in China. Men and women are losing their lives today because they will not bow their head to the premier. It's happening in many different lands. All they want you to do is acknowledge that there is more than one God. There is not more than one God. Jesus is Lord. You need to settle that in your heart. Yesterday on the YouTube, and those of you listening on radio, I urge you to go listen to yesterday's YouTube broadcast. I couldn't get through on the brick link to the radio station. But I want to read this passage of Scripture again for you. It's in Romans. Romans, the sixth chapter, verse 13. And you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin. You must not yield your members to the unrighteousness of abortion. You must not yield your members to the unrighteousness of violence. All violence is wrong. Until directed by Jesus to stand up against it. And that seems like violence when you stand up against unrighteousness. But once and for all, Yield yourselves to God as living out from among spiritually dead men. And yield your members as instruments of righteousness for God. That word yield in the Greek I shared yesterday, but let me review. It means to go stand beside. To stand with. See, we're for many things. We're for freedom. We're for liberty. We're for... We're for advantage in business. We're for apple pie and mother. We're for many things as Americans. But you can only stand with one thing. You can't stand with everybody. You can't stand with everything. You stand for one. You stand for one. Let me read it for you as it is literally in the Scripture. But once and for all, stand with God as living out from among spiritually dead men and stand with your members given as instruments of righteousness for God. There's no compromise here. This is not synchronistic. It is single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ. It is not Worshipping at the idol of the car you desire. I mean, some of you have gone out and every month it stretches you just to pay for your car. And you're paying $800, $900, a month for an automobile. Astonishing to me. Are you paying $1,500 a month for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Surely you can give to the Lord as much as you're giving for your car. I mean, I'm astonished. Show me your checkbook, and I'll know what you worship. It's very clear when you look in a checkbook or you look on a credit card statement. Where you spend your money, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, I don't mean to be offensive with you today. I don't mean to... I don't mean to insult you. I love you. I'm saying these things to you because... The scriptures say we must live out from among spiritually dead men and stand with our members given as instruments of righteousness for God. That's what we're demanded to do. That's what God has called us to. 
the only way you can live out from among the spiritually dead men is not to worship what they worship. Let's talk for just a moment about what it means to be spiritual. Many people say to me, oh, I'm very spiritual. But spirituality includes everything of the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, there is the mighty power of Almighty God, and there is the weakened, desolate power of the devil. The devil operates on spiritual frequencies, even as the Holy Spirit operates on spiritual frequencies. So a person can say to me, I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. And what they're really saying to me is, I'm a wiccan, I'm a witch. I'm a warlock. I'm very spiritual. And, and they're right. They're operating in the spirit realm. And they're operating in the power of the spirit realm. But they're filled with demons. Because demons operate in the spiritual realm. It is not enough to say, I am operating as a spiritual person. No, I operate under the authority and the power of the living Jesus Christ. And when the powers of darkness in the spirit realm come at me, I lift my hands in the name of Jesus and command them to depart from me. I have nothing to do with the powers of darkness. They're spiritual, but I have nothing to do with them. I curse them in the name of Jesus and I cast them out. I have no part with them. I serve in the Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under law, but under grace. In other words, as we yield ourselves in the Spirit and in the actual living out of life, separate from the world, we walk in grace. We walk in the favor, unmerited favor of God Almighty. He says, But thanks be to God, because you used to be servants of sin, but you obeyed out from the heart a standard of teaching unto which you were delivered. And having been freed from sin, you were made servants with reference to righteousness. I am lifting up for you today a standard of righteousness. And that standard of righteousness demands that you recognize there is only one God. Money is not your God if you serve Jesus. Physical health is not your God if you serve Jesus. Success is not your God. Your dog or your cat or your pet is not your God. Your job is not your God. Your wife, your husband, your children, they are not your gods. Your primary focus and attention is on Jesus Christ, and you obey his words, and you live by the moral values that he has given us, and you rebuke those who are not living according to that moral value. You cut it off. And the testimony of your life becomes very offensive to the people who walk in wickedness before God. You walk as a person of love, of mercy, of compassion, of integrity, not hard-edged, not bitter, not angry, but righteous, not legalistic, walking by faith, for all that I have came from God. All that I have, all that I am, came from the merciful hand of Almighty God. It did not come. It did not come by my own ability or my own will. What I have did not come from the hand of another man. Jesus is God. There is one God. His name is Jesus. Many years ago, I had the privilege of going to Weimar's Switzerland. 
And there was a fellowship called Labri, meaning the fellowship. And Francis Schaeffer was the leader of that fellowship. And I went there to study under him for a month. It was the most wonderful month in my life. I'll never forget Oz Guinness was there. And he called for a prayer meeting in his chalet and we all went and sat on the floor. He didn't preach. He just bowed his head. He said, let's pray. And we prayed for two hours. I knew I was in the presence of God. But what I want to say to you is that Francis Schaeffer said one thing very clearly that has stuck with me through all of these years. I was in my 20s then. He very clearly said, Jesus is the only God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is one. We serve one God. We do not serve the gods of this world. We serve one God. We serve Jesus. And every other God must be laid aside. Now I ask you, please, in all honesty, don't be a victim with me. What God do you still serve beside Jesus? What God do you need to ditch, cut off, repent of? Do you worship the God of our politic? Do you worship Joe Biden or do you worship Donald Trump? Do you worship America? Do you worship entertainment? What captivates you? When you're free, when you when you don't have anything you have to do, what captivates you? Is it the television? Can you hardly wait until you can get to your favorite TV shows? Then that's where you worship. That's your church. What do you need to cut off today? What are you worshiping today? We cannot tolerate, we will not tolerate, I will not tolerate any God in my life save the God called Jesus. He is my Lord. I keep singing this song. I wish I could sing it to you, but I can't. I sing it when I'm by myself or in the shower. Jesus, you're everything to me. You're my life. You're everything to me. Jesus is everything to me. I've heard people say, my husband is everything to me. My wife is everything to me. My children mean everything to me. No, they don't. Not to me. Jesus means everything to me. Now we're just about out of time for this broadcast. I have a lot more I want to share with you, but we'll, we'll go tomorrow again. And then Friday will be a day of public prayer where we'll open the phone lines and invite you to call and pray. But I'd like to pray now, please. Lord Jesus, I know that some have been hurt and some have been angered by this message today. And some were saying, what are you talking about, Pastor? What are you talking about, Pastor? Lord, I'm asking you to make it absolutely clear to every person listening to this broadcast right now. Every God that they bow down before and worship, especially if that God is themselves. Lord, I know you are exceptionally angry with those men and women who actually say, I am God, I'm as good as it gets. Lord, you know I've had that said to me by many people through the years. Lord, I ask that every unclean God, small g, would be exposed to my brothers and sisters 
and to me. I'm asking, Lord, in your great mercy, would you move with power to save your church? Lord, would you expose the wickedness, the corruption of your church in America? Would you start with those of us who are pastors and those who call themselves prophets? Lord, would you expose Lord, would you expose that? And then would you expose in every person who calls themselves a Christian, would you expose all false gods, small g? Would you expose those to their heart and cause them to plainly see that they must repent of this wickedness or they will be swept away in judgment, in destruction, Lord, I plead your mercy today. I plead your mercy today. Lord, would you have your would you have your way now? I know that conviction of sin only comes by way of your Holy Spirit. It doesn't come out of the natural man. And you've called us to leave the natural man and be born from above in the spirit to not walk in the carnal nature ever again. Lord, you said that that carnal nature could be utterly destroyed. But the church has said, no, it can never be destroyed and we're always going to be sinners. Lord, I know they've said that because they want to worship false gods. They want to draw on the world, the flesh and the devil Lord, forgive us. Bring us to ourselves, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, and I urge you today to make a decision about the gods of your life. I invite you to write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. I also welcome you to come and worship with us. If you go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, you will find the address where you can come and worship with us. We're a very small home fellowship. Don't expect some, some great assembly. That will come when revival comes. I also ask if you would help carry this broadcast. If this broadcast is helpful to you, go to nationalprayerchapel.com and you can click on the upper right-hand button and you can give. Thank you for those of you who are doing so. And thank you to our radio listeners who have been so gracious in giving. Thank you, Gloria. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, others in the Washington metro area who are giving. I'm praying for you. I pray God's mercy.